0: So this is uh, paul for sure with with John Kuby. Um john you're you started your talk looking at this classic work of uh, o'Keevan Nadal uh, on, on place fields in the hippocampus hippocampus as a as a cognitive map and in some you you've been part of that whole movement from really the, the beginning right so so why did you why did you delve into that that part of the brain with so much energy and vigor? Well, um, I started as a postdoc did this work as a postdoc
1: with Jim Ronk. and my goal at the time was really to use the, learn the techniques of chronic single cell recording and to take it somewhere else and actually, my goal was to take it to the amygdala and do something with emotions, maybe chemical senses that that idea. Uh, but I fell in love with the hippocampus, and, and at that time't I, I guess I'd heard rumors about O'Keefe and play cells. yes, I'd heard something like that. Um, didn't know too much about them in the project I started working with Jim Ronk one of the one of the things we were going to look at was whether they were place cells and once you seen them they were so shocking I at the time you know most people you describe to a neuroscientist just didn't believe them. that gotta be wrong uh, but once you see them you you realize that's a terrific thing to follow and to study uh, so I did that with Jim Ronk for a few years and then the big step I think we made was to, when I started working with Bob Mueller was to try to um, do things more automatically to use a tracking system to, to use a primitive computer to collect data and to create real computer-generated maps mm-hmm. of, of place cell firing uh, and that had a big effect I think uh, publicly because people said a computer did this. This isn't just somebody watching and saying, "I see place fields," or sort of drawing something on a on a surface, and this is where the cell fires. It's an objective machine that is that is making these things happen. So that hap- We were we did that about when some others had done it, but it, it, that had a pretty big effect for acceptance. And then um, the work I did in the, like, the 1980s with Bob Muller um, got the basic outline of what we were doing. We tried to be simplified. Param, you know, the, the experimental approaches, simplified the, the task as much as possible, made very simple stimulus configurations, and it tr- formed a framework for getting things started. Started and asking questions parametrically or semi-parametrically, and it was very exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but then, so where are we now? I mean, we we're quite a few years later. So, do you understand the system?
1: That's a strong word. <laughs> There's a lot, I mean, if you look back at the time, there were a lot of misconceptions we all had. And uh, place cells were the one magical signal, and we we were chasing them for a long time. Uh, and since then, two or two and a half additional magical cues have come up, the head direction cells, which Jim Rohnk discovered, and grid cells, which the Mosers discovered. And in a sense, these are a little bit like tinker toys, these are wonderful, you know, little pieces of a machine, which now you can think, well, how would you put these things together to do interesting things? They seem to be telling you what they must be doing, but not quite. And, uh, with these three or three and a half or four tinker toys, these fundamentally different, uh, uh elements, and they're more than that, in fact, uh, it to, it's a lot of, uh, possibilities. It also makes it seem as if the an, the, the roots to getting answers are, are clearer, uh, and uh, it's more. But there are also a lot of avenues to explore. One of the things that I think I, I certainly didn't pay attention to for maybe ten years, and I, but I think really almost no one of us in the rough hippocampal group did up, up until about 1990 was path integration. We just were thinking in a different world, and what um, I forget exactly this. St- a set of events. One of them was a book Randy Gallistel wrote called The Organization of Behavior where he talked a lot about navigation by path integration or dead reckoning and outlined a thought, you know, of, of an approach. We be, Some of us began to look at the insect navigational literature largely from European sources where they, you know, d- documented how ants do these wonderful things and how lots of it was based on path integration. And s- slowly that became a, a second way of thinking about things uh, before that it was all sort of magical sensory transformations that made something like views of the environment from an, from a land based view into these overhead representations and we just were so amazed but overwhelmed by it that we you know imagined some complicated cortical transformations of this information, and now they're very different approaches to thinking about it.
0: But then you also added to this mix this co- the conjunction cells.
1: Yes, they were said four and a half. It, yeah. you
0: know, the grid cells are, are sort
1: of four, and then sort of they're their little brothers, the conjunctive cells. So, but Maybe la- that's unfair
0: to <laughs> <laughs> the conjunctive cells. Well, let's see. They're, they're, they're the newest ones. The right, they're right. the latest, the most recent addition. But that's, if we go back to the place cells, it, it also you made quite a point in your talk that it, we should not really think about them as just expressing location as such without any further bias or or let's say noise or variability so 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 how should we really look at these place cells how much are they place how much are they let's say visual cues how much are they mixture well I wouldn't say visual cues
1: I mean I, I think they are,
0: I think I think they are place. I mean I would say even if
1: they're largely driven by location specific sensory information it's information that's, that, that's expressed one way only when you're at a certain location, not in others, the the most cohesive way of describing them is place place cells, because there's a a convergence of inputs that all add up to firing in one place. And I think place cells is the right term. So they do signal an animal's place in the world or in in, in, in the coordinates of its environment. But I think the other big thing that um, I, I think we contributed somewhat to the idea is that they also contain a signal more globally, of what environment the animal's in. So we did it by uh, describing the the process, about Muller and I, the process of remapping. And so here, with the the more primitive techniques, we basically were only able to record one or two cells at a time, and make logical inferences about what the population of cells must be doing. Uh, And with stability across days or sessions, you you could infer what pairs of cells might've been doing that kind of thing. And roughly the idea uh, is that uh, there is a map for one environment, but if the animal goes to a second environment, all the spatial relations among the cells will scramble and some will turn off and some new ones will enter. So if it's using the system as a map, it's creating a new map for every environment. Uh, So that's one half of remapping. The other half is if you imagine, not just a couple of cells or not just enough cells to cover the surface of the environment. But if you imagine all the cells that fire when the animal's in a particular location, the firing vector, if you will, whatever, hundreds, thousands, um, that the firing vector is also unique to, the, to a particular environment. So an environment might have maybe 20 firing vectors corresponding to discrete locations in space. And in another environment, it'll have another 20 that are totally unique to it. So the firing of a single firing vector uh, all signals not just where the rat is, but what environment it's in. And this leads to the idea of the contextual role of the hippocampus, signaling, I'm in a certain environment, what's appropriate to do now? What things might happen to me? Not just where am I and how can I navigate to somewhere else, but where in a, you know, less precise but broader sense, the, the contextual idea of what the hippocampus is responsible
0: for. But now as you talk about these maps, you say, look, if I go from one environment to the other, I, I, I also, I change the map that I'm expressing with my hippocampus. How are how, how you thinking about this? Is this just there in an instantaneous way? It has this to be learned? Is it loaded, if you want, from another structure? Where are these maps coming from?
1: I think that they are, I mean, I think we have some evidence they're learned. Uh, they're initially labile. They, they take a. They lay down in time. They're not initially there the second the rat enters. The amount of time it takes is a somewhat debatable point. But let's imagine half an hour, an hour, for a period of about a day. They're labile. They may disappear. For example, if you inject a protein synthesis blocker, then they put the animal back in the same environment the
0: next day, they'll disappear. They won't be there. Okay, but then, then what you say? Yep, yeah, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. So that was Go it. Okay, then are you saying? that, let's say, the local nodes of the map are there, and what you learn is their their relations? Like you learn the, the
1: yes, relations yes. in the map?
0: Or are you saying, also the local features, I, I'm, or the local nodes in the map I have to acquire? What both. Am I, what am both. I
1: both? both. You have this firing vector idea. I think that's what you mean by the local node. So let's imagine those are set up due to the grid cells determining some random subset of... Uh, hippocampal play cells that happen to fire in that location. Once they start firing together in that location, and learning rules can link them. And, um, and you link those, nodes. So they would be stabilized to mm-hmm. some degree without the grid cell input. And in a similar fashion, they also can be linked to neighboring mm-hmm. uh, um, firing vectors by the animal moving from one location to another, which will cause overlapping patterns of firing and also through and conjunctions
0: uh, link one vector or place field to its neighbors. Do you agree, however, that that physiologically a single place cell's response can emerge very rapidly?
1: Can, yes. Mm -hmm.
0: And and, um,
1: I think you have some data, I was hearing this afternoon, that um, if we think of the grid cells as producing the first, responsible for the first appearance
0: of place cells, they will emerge quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So then, then this raises this question, like what, what, what's in the contribution of learning? Is it more this map, which is the relationship between the nodes, because this gives me the topology of, of space? Or am I also really lear- learning all the local positions to say like, oh okay, this position in this, in this, lo- this X, Y position exists in, in some way?
1: Well se- several things. Uh, the learning can link the grid cells. I mean, the the, the grid cell produced place cells to environmental cues, and that's that that's critical for the uh, firing the place cells not to drift in space, and to be to go to repeatable positions when you take the animal out of the apparatus and back in, so it becomes a permanent or semi permanent representation as opposed to one that might be there for a minute or two but then drift away and change. So it has to have plasticity both the link to the set of cells and to other Visual, I mean, uh, sensory input, which is specific to that location. So initially, we now roughly think, and I think some of the data you're working on, uh, experiments you're working on, to sort of confirm that the initial firing of the place cells might be purely, almost random, but due to path integration or the grid cell inputs. But once they start, they get linked or, or um, uh, stabilized hmm. by sensory cues, which also co-determine or over-determine
0: uh, firing in that location. But, and and do you see that happen in some progressive way as we run through the trisynaptic loop, or does it it happen from the beginning? Like when I enter the dentate gyrus, um, do I already see this kind of... Well, I don't know where the sensory input comes from, but a good guess would be
1: lateral and rhinal, but we don't really know Mm -hmm. exactly the route that takes takes information in. Then there's also the play cell-to-play cell associations, the linking between neighboring locations and the Cells of the uh, firing vector, and that I imagine is just within hippocampal associations. It doesn't take any loop to the necessitate any loop to the outside. But it, the rough idea also is that the place cells project back to the grid
0: cells and help to stabilize the grid cell system. Right, but then, um, okay. So now here we have our place cell, and and as you also pointed out, these place cells, however can be latching on to certain kinds of cues in the environment, which again can be defined in, in different frames of reference. So, so that means how stable then, or if I talk about this this allocentric representation of space, what does allocentric actually really mean? Well, well I
1: think literally what it means is that it fires, that the, the, the best representation, and the representation we hope the animal's using, is in a coordinate frame that isn't body-centered. That's just a simple, almost definitional meaning. But it's a negative definition. Well, it's it's centered somewhere outside of the body. We can, you you can, if you put a pointer, mark a spot on the earth and point, make a north vector, you can, you can call anywhere on earth the center of the allocentric, coordinate or within the environment, the center, and it makes no difference. It works, but you have to start somewhere. You have to have a center of the coordinate frame that's outside of the body and stable in the environment uh i I should say stable in the environment not necessarily stable with the earth it could be rotating slowly or something like that but so so i don't think it's a negative definition just you have a lot of choices but the choices have
0: to follow those rules well i guess we don't have that many choices no i mean what kind of of cues do we have outside of our body we could have maybe the sun gravity magnetism but beyond that there's not much left but the
1: stars so now uh, the significance for the animal using an allocentric representation is that it has a, these provide stable views of the world and the animal, I think the animals live in a, in a stable world frame. We don't want the, the animal's representation of the world to shift every time it moves its head and its eyes. It needs a stable world frame to find a goal, to find things that are stable in the world frame conditions. So it, it really, in some ways, allocentric frames of some sort are essential. The complicated ones, these two-dimensional cartesian frames or semi-cartesian uh, are, are very important for efficient for most efficient navigation for taking uh, direct routes across paths the animal using paths the animal to use never used before to unmark goals. so it, it this sort of allocentric representation we imagine I think there's
0: reasonable evidence for leads to navigational efficiency now for for how do you think about then this the construction of this allocentric map? Because on the one hand, you could of course say, well, I have access to sensory signals that are directly coupled to an allocentric uh, frame of reference. Let's say if I use a compass. On the other hand, you might argue, well all I have access to are my local cues. It's, let's say, the changes in my position and movement that my vestibular system picks up, changes in optic flow that correlate with my own movement, so I only have local measurements of of my change in position in space from which I have to now infer this allocentric map. So so which of these two extremes do you... Well, I I mean,
1: we first rephrase the first option a little bit. At least I I I, I, and I think a lot of others have thought of it. We get sensory information, say visual information, through an egocentric frame. We're head moving our head and eyes, and we're always viewing the world roughly from the horizontal plane of the earth. And the the apparent allocentric plane of uh, place cells and head directed cells and grid cells is a bird's eye view, one that the the most people and rats don't ne- never see. So it implies something like. A, an environmental rotation rotating from viewing the world from an egocentric plane to an overhead view which the animal never sees, so it it, it seems to require at first thought it seems to require a mental rotation which the, I'm not much of a mathematician or computational person but it seems computationally difficult and there was talk about that for a long time and sort of hand waving and rough ideas of how it could take place, but it puts a pre- pretty big burden on presumably neocortical processing of egocentric sensory data to get this overhead view. Now, the other option which you mentioned is that perhaps there's sensory data that comes in that does, that can sort of short-circuit that process. And I talked this afternoon, this morning, about one likely thing. And, and the, the, the likelihood, I, I'm, I think, is that the head-direction cells are sort of the trigger. The head-direction cells are do work in allocentric space, but the rough idea of how they're created is nothing to, nothing like an overhead view rotation. It's simply changing the firing with each turn of the head, presumably mostly driven by the vestibular system, but other path integration type cues. So every time the animal's head turns, the, this, the, the head direction cell that corresponds to that turn uh, rotates. And with linear motion, it doesn't. So if viewed from above, the firing of head direction cells look like parallel vectors in space, which initially struck us as an impossible thing to compute. But once we, what Jeff Tawby, demonstrated that the head direction cells mostly or largely get their input from the vestibular system, this led to sort of an aha. It's not so hard for these things to get their fundamental signals. So that sort of solves the problem for head direction cells. What about grid cells and place cells? Over the last couple of years, especially with the with the, really, since the discovery of grid cells by the Mosers about seven years ago, about five, seven years ago, uh, the idea that grid cells contribute to the initial formation of place cells has gotten very popular. And so there are two or three different models of how grid cells are formed. But all of them are driven by head direction cells and speed. They don't do any mental rotations, just, I mean, the cute computational things, just using the inputs of head direction cells and speed, produce grid cells from head direction cells. So we have this allocentric set of grid cells, again, without a mental rotation. And finally, as I just said, grid cells seem to initially set up place cells. So uh, that's just due to a fairly complicated, but computationally simple addition of grid cells, some summation process. So again, now we have all three allocentric representations set up, without any complicated process, very complicated, at least processing at a level that I can understand, which makes it fairly simple. Uh, But that then leaves to one problem, and that is all three systems as described are basically path integration systems. And path integration has problems. One of them is a drift, and the other is it won't be repeatable trial after trial. Take the animal in, it'll start from scratch with an arbitrary starting point, not a fixed starting point. So we do need sensory information to come into the system to stabilize things. But this sensory information need not be rotated in a complicated way. It just has to be sensory information which is location-specific. That is, when I smell this in this spot or I see the tree at that distance or something like that, that's when this play cell should fire. So by a fairly simple associative process, the sensory information, which need not be transformed, uh, can stabilize play cells, grid grid cells, and head direction cells.
0: Okay. now, did that answer the question? <laughs> it was a long well, answer. So the point is, you sidestep a bit the first scenario because you say, well, I believe that if I go from these egocentric measurements to an allocentric map, I have to do some sort of mental rotation, and I cannot imagine how this could be done. Right. Now, but is that really required? Uh, so if I make these local measurements so uh, I, I was, was
1: arguing that now it's no longer required, uh-huh. and we've solved, we've solved the problem mm-hmm. in a short circuit. I mean, in a cube solution
0: well but but f- for instance on the why not argue, so in some sense I think you also solve the problem by reducing let's say the properties of this allo- yes. allocentric map you want to generate yes. but uh, how about I want I want my cake and eat it too so I want to have my allocentric map but I want to just in the base yeah of. I
1: think we don't have those fancy properties and I'll give you an example okay um, if the allocentric map were created with this mental rotation system. It ought to be pretty easy for an animal or a human to imagine, to to make them a, to to do a behavioral tasks which makes this rotation. So um, I, this is not published, but I bet it was pretty strong data that I, a behavioral experiment I did with people, which was to uh, show them a view of the world of a room with, with objects laid out on the floor. They were standing in one corner. And then we gave them a, an outline of the floor of the room as as it would be seen from above, a blueprint kind of floor, and said, "Hey, draw where those objects should be." So it's essentially a mental rotation problem, where they should imagine what it would, what the room would look like from above. And if they are able to do these mental rotations, it's a pretty easy task. What we got from the people was they did about a third to a half of a rotation. Not you know, it would take a 90 degree viewpoint rotation. They did 30 to 45 degree rotations. So they moved in the right direction. Let's imagine the objects were laid out as an equilateral triangle on the floor. Viewed from the corner, it would look like a flattened triangle. So the goal, if they did a good job, they would end up with an equilateral triangle. What they end, we ended up with were slightly less flattened triangles. And so my one interpretation is we're not so good at doing this mental rotation. So there is a loss. We don't have this idealized cognitive map of being able to construct overhead views where we could plot out shortcuts between any points and things like that. We, some of those tests can be done, but we don't have that, that concise, um, very, very flexible,
0: bird's-eye-view type of a map.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But now, um, the bird's-eye view, maybe you don't need to have that explicit representation right about space because in some sense you seem to slip in additional constraint which is like I can fully visualize from this bird's-eye perspective the whole environment in all its beauty and, and detail but maybe you just need that kind of information over a more restricted subset of the space you're actually dealing with and that is the subset of space you actually have dealt with behaviorally and you have had access to given the sensory systems you have so So if I would relax this constraint and say, look, I just want to be able to make, to have an allocentric representation of those parts of space I've really visited, I've seen, and I can do that by looking at, let's say, just the local displacements between points in that space, and from there I infer this allocentric representation of that effective space. Would that satisfy you? Or is there something missing? Do I really need this bird's eye view of the whole space? This isn't going to
1: answer your question, but I'll say some of the areas that I've been working on. And that is to ask, with this non-perfect allocentric representation, can an animal or a human take shortcuts and path re- pass regions uh, unvisited and, and do the navigational problems as efficiently as it has your bird's eye view? And I think the answer is yes. It can do navigational problems quite efficiently. Uh, what the animal or human has to, has to have done